What is the worst food you can eat for Sari? Biryani. Salin. Bacon. Uh, peanut butter. Okay, variety. I, I take mine back. I actually have peanut butter. Yeah, that was such a cap. <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to think of something that like really has a heavy. Does it have an effect on you though? Like even if you. No, I, it's fine. It has it's a like good effect be good. on good. Yeah. Okay. I, I think actually. Wait, you had biryani this morning. You were That's just why I us. roasted him. I said biryani. Oh. I said uh, bacon. That is the worst well, thing no, you could ever have. Turkey bacon. Why? Why? Why bacon? Regular bacon. Why are you Bruh, eating that? Why would you ever have regular bacon? I would bacon? assume that you're saying halal bacon. It's good. Yeah. I'd be regular having bacon. never had it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For suhoor? I've actually never had like pork or anything like that. Like, you know. Accidentally? <laughs> good job. Accidentally. No, no. Oh, accidentally. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. That's like, that's crazy. a good thing, right? Yeah. That like, you guys crazy. have accidentally, right? Whoa. Why are you putting us <laughs> on? Don't feel <laughs> like that. I can neither confirm nor deny that. No, I have had it more than once. On purpose? It tastes like what it looks like, to be honest. Is it good? No. Oh. You liked it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm, just I'm not gonna lie. We accidentally had him at our like a thari one time, like at a community of thari. Why is this guy here? It was, it was at a mosque, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh and God. it hit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, y'all forgot that I basically grew up on pork, right? How was it? How is I it? I mean, you're not missing much. Well, Koreans, unless, Koreans unless, eat a lot of pork. So right. Koreans eat like their prime dish for pork was just bacon without seasoning or being smoked. What? Just, just straight up take raw? the pig belly and no, not raw. raw. Obviously you cook it. <laughs> obviously, obviously you cook it, right? But um, but they wouldn't season or smoke it or cure it like they do with bacon. Basically, just they just cut the meat, it? cook it, grill it, and then that well, was it. I was, okay, that was good, actually. I will admit, I did miss that. <laughs> I had, it's not, I had, stop uh, trying to influence our audience to eat bacon. What was good? <laughs> I had Korean barbecue with Hassan the other day, and, he, and I can out. confirm that he was eating everything pretty raw. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, you're one of those. Do you not cook no, your I, steak enough? Yeah, um, I no, saw everything like was one cooked of, enough. One of the pieces of steak, it was like it was like really pink, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, that's the way I want it." Really pink? Yeah, you're exaggerating. I'm not. Remember, you're, you're, there was that one point. I was like, that's not, that's not, "I was like, that's not cooked," and you were like, mm, "That's the way I like it." <laughs> it was like touch the grill, and it sounds like take it off. It's too long. So why not biryani though? I have to like I can't like Sadie to me is like breakfast. Mm -hmm. Like you can't I can't. Have heavy I can't well, no, also, I, like, also, Dawar does like, not eat desi food a lot, anyways. That's true. Yeah. He would have said you could have said lunch dinner. He would have been like biryani. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so, but I need like breakfast items. Like my Sadie will be like eggs and like peanut bagel. butter, bagel. Mm. What, what was your honey. Mine was salon, like curries, any curry. Like I can't do. I don't know why, yeah. but it, it leaves like a weird feeling. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, Especially when you're sleeping, you can like feel it. Because the thing is, you, we're not meant to it. like fall asleep right away after eating anyway. So then you eat solid, and also solid's acidic, I think. And I don't have acid reflux, but I can only imagine how that would be for somebody who did. Oh, and the uncles probably go down on that too. That's they probably have the reflux. You gotta have like <laughs> the uncles are laying in bed like. <laughs> <laughs> like letting all the gas out. It's just a like gas chamber in the bedroom right after eating salad. Oh my gosh. I feel like the best is having like a bagel thin with cream cheese or avocado and like egg. Oh, that sounds so good Fire. right now too. And that keeps you throughout the whole day? That keeps me perfect. Oh. What are, wait, wait, so you disagree with your own self now, Frost? Go peanut butter. Okay, okay, peanut butter. Yeah, he literally eats peanut butter for a Like I see <laughs> On toast? Yeah. 
With a sp- I eat peanut, peanut butter, butter with a spoon too. That's nasty. It's so good. That's and he'll so throw dry. it in his oats. Oh, okay. That's not bad. Anyways, guys, thank you for tuning in to an episode of Strange Flavors. My name is Shimmer. I'm peanut butter and frost jelly. My name is Amber. And we have a special guest today here. Co-host. The legendary. Back from <laughs> back from the dead. <laughs> back from the dead. <laughs> Dower is here with dead? us today. You after guys might have been wondering where. <laughs> he wasn't done introducing himself. He, he always does this actually. Every time he comes on the podcast, he c- comes up with some random intro <laughs> that has no end. Because everyone knows he's who like, I am. He's like, back, oh, back. everyone oh, knows who you are? He doesn't even need to say his name. They're like, oh my God, the salute God is back. The salute God. <laughs> But this is the strangest and greatest podcast in the game. This is brought to you by Lift Theory. If you'd like to email us or send us your music, strangeflavorspodcast at gmail.com. You can watch this beautiful video. We have multiple camera angles. We have the stress cam going on. We have four people in three different cameras. You can watch that on YouTube. Comment, like, and subscribe, please. If you'd like to support this podcast, there's a link down below. You could be part of Strange Flavors Town, Bobber's Bagels, Cassie's Cupcakes, Airhouse Ices, Freehouse Flaffles, Uslam's Apples. Freehouse Apples. I did not mess up. <laughs> um, yeah, you actually got it right that time. I'm pretty sure that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he always gets it right. You're the one that was backing him up it's last time. Come on, bro. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've I'm never heard salt, you say I'm it right I'm just salty because I never get an introduction. Oh. It's on. It's on. It's on. It's on. The ex pork eater. No, but no, you. The export addict. He said export eater. Export addict. Oh no, but God. he did. He said we have the stress cam over there. Yeah, it did. But we need it in no, our yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not the we name, but not the name behind it, right? It's just I'm the stress cam, right? I got no name. We got Isan on the stress cam. Isan on the hey, stress cam. Obviously go. stressed right away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> An early stress. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm always stressed. I'm I'm gonna put that on a t-shirt. Always stressed. <laughs> always oh stressed. my gosh. But he's grinding for us and he's helping us a lot. So he's the reason we look so good is because of Isan and mm-hmm. sound good too. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. There you mm. go. That's what I'm talking about. Every episode should <laughs> Every we do Every episode? Every episode, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm down. If you guys are down. I'm not. Not. Okay. No, absolutely. All right, so Sorry, he can do it. I'll do it. See, there you go. I'll do it. But if you'd like to also be as sexy as Asan, you can get merch <laughs> at strangeflavors.store. <laughs> we have dope new merch out um, also on ronopono.com. We've got um, the new uh, Ramadan Essentials collection. So make sure to cop that. Um, we got Halal Gap, Gains for God, and we actually have the Gains for God uh, himself here. See? That's why I don't need an intro. <laughs> so, so make sure you cop that um, in cop his it. honor. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can got- work out in it, right? Yeah. He got one. I got one. Nice. So you'll I see me getting too. shredded. We can, you we can the, wear ours together at the gym. You get the muscle tank? Yeah, but the muscles aren't included. <laughs> 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 That's okay. something you're going to have to work on. Let's go. Which yeah. one do you get? I got the Gains for God in a sweatshirt and it. T-shirt. Nice. You're gonna work out in it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I was like, um, so the other day I came downstairs, right, and I just see this mug sitting there, uh, this giant mug, and it says Papa on it. And I was like, did my dad get like he doesn't <laughs> do stuff like that? And it's so big. I was like, whose mug is this? It's taking up the whole like you know the Keurig thing. Yeah, it's taking up the whole thing. Like, why does this mug say Papa on it? And then comes marching down the Slute King over here. And I was like, whose mug is this? He goes, it's me. I was like, oh I was like why are you Papa? Why are you drinking out of this? Are you expecting what's going on? And then what happened? Like your gym got you that? Yeah. So like uh, the boys at the gym, some of them that I train, they call me like Father Gaines. Oh my god. So like gosh. one of them like saw the mug and he was like, dude. 
Papa Gaines. This is you. It's for you. So he got it for me. Papa Sloot, Papa Gaines. Papa Gaines. This guy does not stop. Instead of Papa John's, it's Papa Gaines. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not trying to get canceled. Don't associate me with that. Yo, they got good pizza though. That's true. Whoa. <laughs> the disrespect. What? We only we only oh, support sorry, one sorry, pizza. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We only eat at Amber's shop that we're not allowed to mention on the podcast. <laughs> well, aren't you allowed to mention it? Because you said last yeah, time we could have mentioned it. Oh, I said that? Yeah. Oh, I lied. Give me that free publicity, sir. Right, just what is it? It's just pizza bowlies. Let's go. <laughs> Which one though? No, we don't need to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so people have been asking on the recent vlogs that you weren't in it. And then overall just saying, you know, where's Dower? Yeah. So what's going on? Why are you… Uh, I miss Dower. Why I are you hiding you from the people? <laughs> are you? Have you changed? Some people say that the Salute King is no more. Yeah, he's retired. True? Oh. I am following the story of the last airbender. When the world needed me the most, I vanished. Wait, is that what's supposed to happen? <laughs> Will you come back, what, in 80 years? Yeah, you'll see. Wait, do, doesn't the world need… If you, the world needs you most, isn't that when you're supposed to show up? No. Oh. No, he disappeared. I disappeared. That's why. That I seems like a mind. useless character. Amber, back. you don't know Avatar. Don't do that. <laughs> okay, well the way… That's he, disrespect. Based off of what he described, I had a right to say that. <laughs> no. Avatar does not get any disrespect. Well, he disappeared when the world needed him most, so… It wasn't his fault. He was just a young Aang. Well, he should have known better. Speaking of um, Avatar, I would like to show… Can we get the foot cam? Why is there like a foot showing in every episode? Because look at the Fire Nation (laughs) socks. Prince Zuko is in the building, everybody. Make sure you go to Faraz's OnlyFans. The (laughs) OnlyFans. The Fire Nation socks. Okay. (laughs) Take a good look at them. At least it's not as bare feet like that other episode. Yeah, this is much better actually. It's on. Oh, yo, yo, chill. I censored it. It's on you guys now. (laughs) He asked for it. Okay, but I got to give a shout out because… What are you going to do? Put it on with one foot? Yeah, I'll put it on afterwards. Um, the guest today actually got me these wonderful socks. So oh. you're welcome. And what? You know, <laughs> no, not you. No, not, not the co-host guest. Not the co-host guest. Um, the guest you who- got you a mommy mug. Mama, yeah, mama, 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 mama mug. Mama Larry. Wait, is your is your wife gonna have like? A mama mug, like she's gonna be Mama Gaines, mama Papa Gaines, yeah. and then Baby Gaines. <laughs> oh my god, that's cute though. That is really cute. Um, but but this episode has been a long time in the works. We had to wait till we got the space right. We could do it in person because um, this person actually means a lot to me, um, just because of who he is, how he carries himself. Dude, so you're gonna make me cry. Really excited. It's you a great decide. intro. <laughs> don't don't ruin the intro. Don't take it. So uh, the stranger this week is a singer songwriter who's been expressing spirituality through his artistry for over a decade now. He's performed his music around the world and in recent years created a space to explore and understand faith in the modern age. So, without further ado, everyone, please welcome Alman Nusrat. What, what you probably just heard was an Alman Nusrat song. But what we really should have had was the Mortal Kombat theme. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because Alman is like the biggest Mortal Kombat fan that I know. Is that yeah. true? Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, one that you know, yeah. Oh. Well, because okay. So you're, you, the friends you grew up with are all pretty big fans or? 
Yeah, but even amongst my friends, I'm probably the biggest fan, to be honest. Ooh. But it's more, it's funny because people are always like, oh, like you must know. It's actually, I just like the story and the creativity behind it. I don't even know how to play the games that well. So, oh, so you're not even good at the games. No, I don't even, I, I don't so even are have you the, the biggest fan. Game. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just like a selective. Interrogating. <laughs> almost like a selective nerd. You like the idea of it. Yeah, I like the concept of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just watched the movie um, a few days yesterday, or two days ago. Yeah, Friday. Yeah. Opening night. Uh, we needed to watch IMAX <laughs> because Alman was like, it needs to be. Well, this was the first time you're watching Mortal Kombat in theaters. Yeah, right? and so that's pretty. So Mortal Kombat came out in like '92 or '93. Um, that's the year I was like born. So <laughs> I was like playing it in diapers with my older cousins, and then I had to wait like 25 years for like a reboot to happen uh, because since in 1997 they made a movie that was so bad that they never touched the franchise. But you like that years. one, right? The I second, you liked, oh, the the second, second one, one was really like. bad. Okay. The first one's like a classic. Like it's so it's bad, like it's funny. good. Kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, it's funny. And uh, this remake was interesting, but hopefully it sets, uh, sets a precedent for like sequels and stuff. I hope so. they make more, because I personally like, I don't know every character. So like I'll ask Alman, you know, what's the concept of this, whatever. And even my sister, she doesn't know it like that well, but from, you know, an outsider perspective, I understood everything because they said the names mm -hmm. and the whole movie was in the spirit of the video game yeah, where it's yeah. like, it is really violent, yeah. but it's also like really casual right afterwards where it's funny. Yeah. It was also <laughs> very creative, like the fight things they do, yeah. right? Like it'll, he'll literally like take out a dude's heart and then like hold it in the air and stuff like that. And it's like from the video games, like mm -hmm. they would just do creative ways of I guess killing these people. But. Yeah, oh it, it was way more true to the game than I was <laughs> like, ask your brother. He's probably like a big fan, like Alman. Probably, but yeah. that's oh, the reason why me and my brother don't have the same interests. <laughs> Final rating. It's really over. I mean, even Neha saw it. And she was just like, yeah. the heck. She actually enjoyed it though. So, yeah. Fun, mm -hmm. fun fact actually, Mortal Kombat's the reason why there's like ratings on games and yeah. stuff. Mm. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Because it's so gory. Parents were like, what is this? And there was a whole like oh. thing in like, with uh, I think it was Joseph Lieberman or other politicians and they played the game like in Congress and stuff and they're like showing everyone. Yeah. Like, Moral combat is just like the two people that fighting, are across yeah. from each other and there's like KO, right? <laughs> yeah, KO. Yeah. <laughs> Fatality. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Final rating? I would say it's like a seven. That's pretty 10? good. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's it's not a bad movie. It's just like you watch it, not, there's no depth to it. It's yeah, like yeah. <laughs> just people beating up for two hours and then, um, and uh, that's it. And yeah. just hope for a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alman was um, over in Maryland. He's He lives in Connecticut. So uh, this past weekend, he was uh, staying with us in Maryland. It's always awesome when you're here because it um, puts a high respect on me and Dawar as well. Because like when we were at the mosque, um, I think this is what uh, a lot of people like you for is that like, you know, you're obviously very relatable. Um, but then, you know, he was leading the prayer and everything and all the uncles, they'll be like, like one of the uncles after Alman was done leading, shook my hand and he was Why? like, great. Why? <laughs> yeah, I was like, like, like good job. Like great find. <laughs> but it's, it's awesome though. But like in all seriousness that, you know, Alman is this person who he comes off as like, did you mention he's your brother-in-law yet? He's my brother-in-law. There you go. Um, <laughs> I'm your Lala. Lala. Yeah. I yeah. call him Lala. Is that what that is? Like brother. Punjabi. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome because, you know, he comes off very welcoming, very sweet in nature. Um, but then you wouldn't expect it, I think, mm -hmm. from like if you just saw or whatever. And I think <laughs> he looks like a jerk. But <laughs> <is there> a <laughs> no, no. An outsider, like the yeah. outsiders, the greaser. Yeah. Uh, like you have really nice hair. Mm -hmm. The facial hair. 
the outfit. You look pretty intimidating. You put That's look funny. put together, and then you know, yeah. Are also and, and kind. He lived in London for he lived in London for a while, so it was like he's he had got the, the whole London lo- look, the UK look, <laughs> funny, with yeah. a leather jacket and all that. Yeah. The only thing he's missing is a cigarette. <laughs> but you always, it's, it's not too late. You always <laughs> add a cigarette to, to make somebody even cooler for some reason. Yeah, I mean, like in in London, everyone smokes. So yeah. that's or a like toothpick. A Toothpick's my alternative. Toothpick, I like. Yeah, mm. that's my thing. But that's what we're trying to basically. Um, that's why I was excited to get you on the podcast because um, whenever I even just speak to you on Instagram Live or something, people are often like, "Wait, he actually talks about faith and spirituality in this way, yeah. um, which is relatable to me." But you know, it comes off not in a uh, aggressive way that people are often used to being raised in that way. Mm-hmm. It's, like Ramadan, like com- be- it's like you're a comfortable person to ask yeah. questions that like you just might not know the answer to that, yeah. you know, otherwise people might think I need to go to like an imam or mm-hmm. like, or I need to find somebody who yeah. is like well rehearsed. Yeah, And it's like off base, like ju- just genuine interest. Yeah. And yeah. So that's, that's kind of I'm also surprised he hasn't been on yet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we wanted to wait till we could yeah. get in person again, but yeah. that's basically for us and I have, and I have had like, a beef. A 70 like precursor conversations at okay. your breakfast table <laughs> yeah. before this. So, yeah. like, we're, but we're super glad that you're yeah. here today. Yeah, we want to get so behind much. all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But let's start with what people know you for, right? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. um, a lot of people know Alman. He's been making music for uh, over a decade now. And it's uh, spiritual music. So what's mainly like, how do you define yourself as an artist? And what's the difference between that and like Nasheed, a Nasheed artist, I guess? So like the origins of this, it's, it's pretty interesting because when I was around 14, that's when I kind of uh, was interested in making music and stuff. And I was inspired by just like bands I was listening to. I was listening to a lot of Linkin Park at the time, um, you know, teen angst and all that stuff. But what was compelling about their music and their lyrics was that there was like depth to it. And it was like poetic almost, you know. Um, and so I really love that. And when I was listening to, you know, songs that were coming from Muslims that was like faith conscious, it was kind of like. It, to me, it wasn't as real as uh, when when relating it to like my emotions and what I was going through as a teenager and through daily life. Like the songs at that time, they're meant for kids at the time. There, it's kind of like, you know, Allahu Akbar, the sky is blue. You know that those yeah. are like the like nursery rhymes, right? Yeah. And I was looking for something we a little are bit. Muslims, yeah. Here we come. Exactly. Yeah. Is that real? Yeah. God is good. God is great. We are Muslims. Upsy daisy. Now don't be lazy. It's time to go to the mosque. Yeah. I've never heard it. <laughs> I, never heard really? I think that's it. You didn't a have like a mosque. I've never heard like, these. Well, you tape. grew up in a very like the yeah. Baltimore ISB community, which is like. Big, yeah. big. So yes. I had like. I never heard I never heard it. I had a Gari Saab when I was in Pakistan and he'd slap me. Yeah. Three Quran. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were like songs like that. But they're definitely like, I would say if. It's not Linkin Park. No, yeah, but they were like, like age range five yeah. to eight. And there was yeah. like nothing. Yeah. I tried so hard <laughs> to go to the mosque. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, uh, but in the end, I didn't want to. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's what was around at the time. And I was heavily influenced by that. And my first passion was drawing. So I was just really into art in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and 14 was also the age um, at which I started to contemplate life in general um, and just mortality and what that means. And and that has been a theme throughout my life, just like contemplating global mortality. And that kind of drives my spiritual journey. Mm. Um, and yeah, so, uh, you know, just making demos in my, in my room um, and my journey with my father and, and that whole relationship really inspired a lot. And I think we'll probably get into that. Yeah, but- we'll, we'll get into, I, I want to ask you. Um, so a lot of, 
times we hear that there is not much of a relationship between music and our religion, particularly Islam. Um, so, you know, we hear a lot of times like music is haram, just stay away from it completely. Mm-hmm. How did you make sense of like being able to balance both, especially if you're going through, you know, finding and wanting to discover uh, your sort of faith at that yeah. at that age? What's really important for people to understand is that if you're looking for a religion that's just completely black and white, Islam is not for you. Because Islam is very nuanced. Islam takes into consideration people's customs, their cultures, their traditions. It takes into consideration so much because it's it's meant to be natural for human beings, not something that's culturally predatory, right? We're not trying to like kill kill culture and we're not trying to destroy things. Wherever Islam has went throughout history, it has accented the culture that's existing there. And there, one of my teachers has said that Islam is like a clear stream and it takes on the color of what's underneath it. So if you go to China, you'll yeah. find an Islam that's authentically Chinese. If you go to Africa, you'll Except find the camps, Except right? Camps. Exactly. But if, if you, but like you know the traditional places, yeah, yeah, just and if you go to uh, Africa, you know you'll find um, Islam that is authentically African. Um, and growing up in the West in America, the question is, you know, what does what does it mean to be authentically Muslim as an American, mm-hmm. right? Or someone growing up in the West? So that kind of also inspired and drove my stuff but going back to what you were saying earlier about islamic or spiritually inspired content i just consider myself a singer songwriter who happens to be muslim because at the core of it um when you find anything beautiful anything with depth it does relate to spirituality and 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 my all of my artwork goes back to this idea of we are not spiritual beings having a physical experience or physical beings having a spiritual experience. Mm. So all the emotions you go through in your life, whether that's happiness, sadness, grief, whatever, that's part of the spiritual journey. And Rumi had said, like, you know, whatever emotions come to you, welcome them. Like, you're like, it's like a guest house. Just welcome them in and contemplate and think, and it'll help towards your growth. You know, that reminds me of, um, like, how you just said that it kind of takes on the form of like what you're doing at the time and relates back to it, having purpose and all of that. Mm -hmm. You got me these like avatar socks. And it's interesting because I find so much spirituality and and relation in Avatar mm-hmm. of those things about like, you know, what does it mean to um, have purpose and relate everything back to spirituality and all of that. So that just reminded me of that. Well, yeah, I was going to ask, like, um, it was relating to, you know, your journey and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes I hear like people say like music is haram yep. and stuff like that. Like, how would you, you know, answer to that? Yeah. And, and did you have guilt with that when yeah. you first started? Yeah. So going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, Islam is a nuanced thing. There's there's differences of opinion within Islamic law. And, you, and you know, that's a real thing. So anyone who's telling you that music is categorically haram, they're just lying. Because there's been a debate about it. For <laughs> they're 40- just lying. <laughs> because <laughs> there's, there's been a debate about this for 1400 years. And you're telling me all of a sudden you have definitive proof. I mean, if, if people before you who are closer in time to the Prophet, peace be upon him, were talking about this and, and having different arguments, and Imam Ghazali, who's one of the most um, recognized scholars of traditional Islamic history, um, you know, he said, for those, of the, for those who say music is haram, you know, you're basically saying like the bird songs are haram. Like music is around mm. us, right? Like you can't just deny it and say like, oh, it's, you know, because that doesn't work. You have to be a little bit more uh, nuanced with that, especially when you're considering culture and what role arts and uh, music have in the propagation of your faith or ideas, uh, which in, in today's day and age, you see like, you know, art and culture is how we literally share ideas. 
right? And and, and how it really popularly, ex- I don't know if that's the word, uh, expresses ideas. Right. Like people get so much um, inspiration and education through art and culture mm-hmm. or right. influence in general. Yeah. And even if somebody is to listen or watch something that brings them closer to faith, for example. I feel like, like art why, makes um, religion sometimes like uh, beautiful and tangible. Mm-hmm. Like for example, if even when it comes down to like an Islamic uh, saying like on a wall or something. It brings so much beauty and like light and like comfort in a home. Right. Um, and I was going to comment on that, but right before that, I was just going back to the music halal haram, you know, debate thing. Ultimately music is, is a tool. Um, and just like you can have a knife and you can use that knife to like kill someone, or you can use that knife to like cut an apple and share it with someone, you mm-hmm. know, it's just about how you use it. Um, and when I went to my teachers and I had this conversation with them, you know, they say like, you know, if you want to meet the devil, you go to Hollywood, right? Like that's a saying, like the devil's in Hollywood, right? And the, the reality is like, you can, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> you can, uh, with music, it's, it's, a, it's a tool. It's how you use it, right? And the devil, this is what I was going to say. The devil has taken the entertainment industry, right? And he just ran with it. So you'll find the worst things, the craziest things, the things that are completely outside of, you know, the fold of Islam in the entertainment industry. But like, what have the Muslims done with that, with, with arts and culture, right? Like, have we elevated ourselves? Have we progressed? We used to, if you go back in Islamic history, you know, we, we like Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, like spiritually inspired uh, ghazals and like all of these things, right? Gawali, right? These are, these are modes by which people uh, communicated ideas and religion and um, spirituality. So it's like, we've kind of stopped because there was at some point in history, people tried to like get rid of culture and like try to suppress it. And with that, these agents of culture, which is, which are music and arts and food and whatever it may be. And so for me, you know, music is a tool by which you can communicate very important ideas. And one of my teachers also said that an artist is like, you know, an artist goes into the deepest part of themselves and takes out things and brings it to the surface so that other people can actually see it. And the artists are the ones who do that, whether they do it through architecture, whether they do it through music or paintings or whatever it is. Um, And another thing is that in the Islamic understanding, God is beautiful and he loves beauty. And that's like a a hadith as well. God is beautiful and and he loves beauty. And so when you see something, and another thing is beauty is um, objective. In the Islamic understanding, beauty is objective. And so that's why when people see things like the Taj Mahal, when they see things that are beautiful, like you don't look at something like that and be like, that's ugly. Mm-hmm. Like naturally something within you is like, that's beautiful. And so similarly, beauty can be communicated. And But what it requires is that you purify yourself. Mm. You have to make yourself capable and bring yourself to the point where beauty actually can come out of you. Because if you're constantly tainting yourself, what's going to come out of you is just more poison that you're poisoning other people with. Yeah. Like people could excuse it. Yeah. Like find, you know, a way to be like, oh, well, and someone might listen to this podcast and be like, oh, well, Alman said, you know, this way. So it always, you know, we always talk about this. We have, we market the heck out of this idea of intentions Mm -hmm. and that's what it comes down to a lot. Intentions and, and just the once again, the overall journey of like purifying yourself, understanding who you are. There's a saying that says like, you know, the one who knows himself knows God. If you know who you are, you'll know who God is mm. um, just by the nature of what you are. Right. And so um, 
yeah, it really comes down to being an artist is in, in, in many ways, a spiritual journey in of itself. How did you bridge that gap? Because you primarily started, you know, with music and then over time had the spiritual journey. So uh, I'm assuming. And Mm -hmm. how did you bridge that gap between the two of them? What was your like research process like? I think, um, like I said, when I was like, uh, in my early teens, you know, just contemplating on, um, on life and death and what that means. It, it just always seems strange to me that even at a young, young age, for some reason, I don't know where this came from, but, but death was something that was talked about. And I think for many Muslim youth, especially like growing up in the mosque and stuff, they talk about death, right? Like, it's just, yeah, like mm-hmm. you're Muslim, you got to know that you're going to end Matter your life here and you're going to, you know, yeah, so some, some imams will come up on like a Jummah and they'll say like, without any hesitation, look you straight in the eyes when you're like seven years old and be like, brother, you are next. <laughs> it could be you or your friend. We are all yeah. going to die. And, yeah. then, and then the kids are like, oh no, dad, what? Even the idea of like hellfire is brought to kids at mm-hmm. a really young age too. Yeah. And so here's what's really interesting about my personal journey. And I, and I, and I think it speaks volumes about the experience of many people out there. The town I grew up in, Stratford, Connecticut, was separated from the rest of the Muslim community that we knew. They were in places like Norwalk and Stamford. Uh, so they're about half an hour away. So those kids, a lot of my friends, they actually went to, you know, to study Quran and they would study in certain circles, like, you know, how they do Islamic schools. And in those circles, they would have the, you know, typical experience of like, you know, getting hit and like, you know, if you're there, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and scaring tactics and stuff like that. Um, and I grew up in an environment with just my grandmother and she would just t- teach me things and kind of explain things. And I'd just be like observing my older sisters and I'd be like, oh, okay, like whatever. I didn't even have like a, I didn't go to a traditional school to like learn the Quran, right? I actually finished reading the Quran was like 16. Like mm-hmm. I didn't do it when I was like seven, you know? And, um, and so, and when I went to learn it, I actually went with the intention of like, what does this mean? It wasn't just because like, oh, just read it and finish for no reason, which if you think about it, it's kind of crazy. We tell our children, yeah, by the time you're 10, you must have finished this book. And then you don't but really you don't have, know what it says. At and all. then basically don't read it again until someone dies or someone gets married or, you know, it or just unless like, you want to like, yeah, I'm, I'm like now learning yeah. at this age that like what yeah. it actually means. But yeah. then it was all about memorize, which yeah. like when you're a kid, you know, it is a lot easier to memorize yeah. and everything, but definitely that's probably you don't the know. intention behind it. They just want yeah. you to memorize it. And, and there is merit to that because the, the Quran has an impact on the hearts. And so things that are instilled with you at that age, later in life, it'll manifest and you'll find your way back to the there religion. There has to be like either tools given to you at that younger age and how you can interpret it, whether it be like, you know, going surah by surah and having like a yeah. overall talk of it. But I feel like at a young age for my myself and most experiences I've heard, it's like read right through it and congratulations, yeah, you yeah, finished yeah. it. Yeah, They have these uh, crazy... Quran, not, not crazy Qurans, but like, oh my <laughs> crazy Quran, but, um, but like very um, electronic ones mm-hmm. where you like put like a pen over mm-hmm. um, the line or something and it'll translate it in any language, like yeah. in wow. 90 different languages now. Yeah. But going back cool. to your, the question you had about um, where that connection was made um, because of those conversations about mortality and stuff, you know, I, I just, I couldn't shake that off. I couldn't shake the idea that, okay, you're telling me all of these, these joys that I feel, this love that I feel, um, you know, it just going to end. And mm-hmm. what does it even mean? If it, if it just ends, like at a young age, I was just thinking, okay, if it just ends and lights out, nothing ever mattered. Mm-hmm. You don't matter. None of the choices you make matter. 
the world is a dark place. We're just an accident of nature and nothing. Mm. And that to me was just like, that is really weird because out of all of nature, human beings are, we, we develop language, we communicate, we make song and art and music. And like, you're saying that happened out of accident. Like that's just, there's no purpose behind that mm-hmm. out of all creatures. It's not like you see a bear doing a Michael Jackson dance, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, might. I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, it depends on like what substance you had, but like, you know, <laughs> but yeah. So like, you know, you don't see that yeah, we're yeah. unique. And, um, and this described in the Quran as well, right? What's unique about human beings that we have intellect. And, um, and so, which is, which ironically is like, you know, that's what brought me to this path. It's thinking about these abstract concepts. And so, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately that was just, that informed me of my like mortality and where life was going. Um, and. What did you do? Hop on the internet? Um, that's there's uh, there's so much to talk about man like, just in terms because well, because i feel like it's like a yeah th- there's a thing but yes the internet was the first place to go but i had people i knew um in person mm. um and actually I had a dream that inspired everything from the from the beginning and then i when i had met certain people including my brother-in-law um he kind of helped me on that journey mm. uh, because he was connected to people. From his sister's side, not yeah. me. I'm yeah. not that cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, Oman and I have like these, you can just listen to him talk about these like abstract sort of conversations. Mm-hmm. We'll stay up like all night just uh, mm-hmm. hearing about it. But you mentioned your father. Um, this is something that's really important to your story because I think, you know, one thing that even my my dad appreciated about you so much was your you know courage when you came over by yourself um and you know had to represent your father um during this whole uh marriage process and all of that and he respected it so much but you know may god rest his soul your father died while you were pretty young how did that impact you know your life going forward and what did you kind of what did you go through mentally while all of that was happening um so 14 is when I kind of had an interest in the spiritual journey, right? And I was experimenting with, you know, art. Um, 16 was when my father started getting ill. Um, and the whole journey of his illness was just absurd. Like it just was crazy and very rare. Um, and just to summarize it real quick, it basically he took a trip to India. He came back. He had an infection in his eye that we thought was like pink eye. And then 24 hours later, 48 hours later, like, you know, the redness you know, got worse. So they took him to the doctor and they had to like remove his eye. Um, so he basically went from being like the breadwinner to now being handicapped by mm-hmm. like, you know, losing his eye. Um, and then, you know, with that, my mom, um, by the grace of God, you know, had gotten a new job around the same time. So she supported the whole house and, and my father basically just wasn't able to work anymore. Um, so within, from this, he's passed away when I was 19 uh, so I would say about three years, he was just deteriorating and the eye was the first thing. And then it ended up being cirrhosis of the liver, which was according to the doctors caused by long-term diabetes. Mm. So, and people don't really think about these different organs and their functions and stuff, but the liver, you know, um, when basically it would cause uh, the protein to build in the blood or something. Mm-hmm. And, and what that does is it, cause a pers- it causes a person to go into like a fog, which is kind of like a dementia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it comes across as dementia. And so they are very, very difficult to deal with. And there are certain situations in which, you know, uh, we're just 
crazy. I mean, like I was basically my teenage years in which people were often, you know, out having fun, having social, you know, um, gatherings and stuff like that. I was just at home. I had to give my dad his injections. I had to do everything. It was like um, a long, painful, process. you know, process, yeah. not just like a quick sort of sudden thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and we're talking about things like, you know, uh, and, and I only say when I share his story, I don't do this in an, in a way to dishonor him anyway, but just to illustrate my point, which I'm getting to, of course. uh, when, when my father was ill, we had to look after every, everything. Right. Um, so helping him use the restroom, you know, giving him baths and, 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 and seeing the emasculation as a pro at that process as well, where my father would cry as my mom would bathe him because he was like, I wish I could do something for you. Right. Like deeply emotional, beautiful moments that showed his humanity. And he was a very kind person. You know, he had all sisters and he was just an amazing person. So I saw that journey and, um, and there's other situations in which like, because of the state that he would get into, he would like fall onto a pair of scissors. One time mm. he sat in front of a heater until his leg got burned. Like he was just out of it. And we just had to constantly monitor, um, that's and, a lot out of a teenager. Yeah. So at that time I was thinking to myself, you know, going through it, I'm just like, why me? Like, I wish my life was normal and like, you know, whatever a mm -hmm. typical teenager. Yeah, with thinks. your friends, especially. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I lived further away from my friends. I didn't drive. Uh, I mean, I drove. Teenage I, years without yeah. all of that is already very difficult. Yeah. 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 And then you add that. Yeah. You know? So, so that was, was, was tough. And eventually, um, but my father was was very forward thinking. Like he supported my artistry, and like you know, he bought me my studio equipment, um, and and so he always believed in me. Um, and I was very close to him, right? So he was like my best friend. We were always like best friends, and um, I'm the, also the youngest in the family. So when he passed away, um, you know, during those teenage years, you you know, I mentioned mortality when I, I would reflect upon that when I was 14. But then there's like those years where I'm just busy taking care of him and doing these other things. And I forget, you know, it's natural for a human being to forget from time to time. Mm -hmm. Then when he passed away, then everything came rushing back. And I'm just like, what happened to my dad? Because mm -hmm. I was there for the ghusl, which is, for those of you who don't know, is basically the washing of the body before the burial. And I remember seeing his body and I'm just like, this is the most surreal thing to see someone you interacted with who would call out your name 500 times a day. And now there's just a lifeless body. And my, my question that would not leave me was what happened to his soul? What happened? Nothing. Keep talking. Oh, yeah. So what happened to, uh, his soul and, 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 oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, where did he go? Was the question. What happened to him? And, it, and what's striking to me is that like, I kind of bear a resemblance to him. So as I get older, I look in the mirror and I see my father and I, but I've seen his dead body. So it's almost like knowing one day what I would look like being lowered into the grave yeah, and what I would look like lying on the table. Right. And for me, it's just this thing of where am I headed in all of these things that I'm giving importance? Why am I giving that importance mm -hmm. and what should I be giving my importance to? And, um, more, most importantly, how do I live a life of purpose? And going back to those instances where I talked about, you know, what I had to go through with him. I talk about those things because it's when he passed away that I realized love, true love is about service. So if you're claiming to love humanity, loving your brothers and sisters, loving people, how are you serving them? Mm -hmm. And most importantly with, with artistry is vanity, the end goal 
is being famous the end goal? Or is there more to that? Or are you trying to help and heal and vanity and, and becoming famous is just a byproduct of what you're really trying to do? Well, that's really interesting though, because that's the field that you chose to go into where these things are, you know, a, a selling point, mm-hmm. if you right. will, where, you know, you're going through this thing, you're exploring your artistry and you have this critical moment in your life. Um, and then, you know, you have this awakening. Mm-hmm. From there, where do you decide to go when, when it comes to like, you know, you're saying, um, what's the point of all these things? So how do you build yourself back up and say, let me pursue my mm-hmm. passion, which does come with these things that, you know, you're explaining yeah. the vanity and all of that could be. Um, yeah, I think, um, well, right after his passing, I basically, you know, the, the curiosity was at its peak of, of what happens to us. What is the spiritual journey? And uh, there was a book. Um, well, I had already known about certain scholars and certain people I was listening to and, and I respected. Um, and there was a couple courses as well that I took. And one of them was um, about a book called uh, The Lives of Man. And it's a it's a book written by, uh, it was written quite a long time ago, but it's basically according to the Quran and Hadith, what is the journey of the soul? And uh, the human being actually has like five lives, right? It's before we came into this earth, then the womb of your mother, and then uh, this life that we're living now, and then you, uh, the barzakh, the life in the grave, and then the day of resurrection, which is counted as its own life, and then the afterlife. So these are the um, the lives of the human being. And so the book goes into detail of what those stages are like, according to the Quran and Hadith. And so that opened my eyes of like, okay, well, now I know what the journey is, right? Now I know what's going to happen. Um and now it's just a matter of like, okay, well, how do I build myself up? Like what you're saying, right? Like, how do I go from point A to point B? And then that was a matter of just like studying foundational things, um, foundational rulings, foundational beliefs. One of the most important things, which we'll get into when we talk about, um, you know, the mantle and stuff is that, you know, what do we believe about God? Because especially in an age where like atheism is just like so rampant, right? People ask you, do you believe in God? And you're like, yeah, well, like, what do you believe about God? What are the attributes of God? Right. And it will differ if you ask a Christian Jew or a Hindu or a Muslim, those ideas will differ. And that's very important. Um, and so uh, that was stage one. And then you continue from there. Um, so, yeah, that's basically how I kind of started that. Uh, that yeah. So where did you um, like I know um, shortly after that, you started really pursuing music seriously and, and you went to. California, mm-hmm. um, after, you know, your family has gone through this, you have two s- older sisters and a mother mm-hmm. and now being the man of the family, traditionally, uh, how do you, you know, leave the home and, and, you know, have an understanding of like, I need to do this yep. and have the faith to, you know, be yeah. successful at it. I think at the time, because I was so driven, um, at, at that age, uh, you know, 19 uh, or 20, like for me, it was just like, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to you know, do this music. And because like, I just want to remind people of whatever it was. And in retrospect, when I look back, you know, as an artist, like you're just constantly learning and you're constantly growing, whatever. Yeah. And so looking back at the journey, I see now that it was fueled probably more by vanity than it was by any noble intention. Right. And so, um, and that's just me being really honest with myself. I'm literally just, that's hard to say. Yeah. And, and so, um, but I can't shy away from that because that's reality. And so 
you know, Alhamdulillah, I went through that journey. I met people. We did an album. I did a tour. Um, and from that tour came um, the rec- recognition of certain individuals that landed me in Dubai, where I lived for a bit. And then I did who, music. Who was that that uh, kind of found you yeah. in uh, music and gave you a shot? It was, uh, so Cat Stevens, Yusuf Islam, who's a, a rock and roll hall of famer, um, you know, famous artist uh, who converted to Islam in the 70s, um, his son-in-law. Um, so uh, Yusuf Islam lives in Dubai. Um, and his son-in-law was there and they had a studio out there. So, you know, at the time it's crazy because, you know, with the, with all this technology and stuff at that time, we're talking about 2012, like, dude, like teenagers were not on GarageBand and Logic. Like that was, you know, you had to like really build yourself up to even have the money to do that and like get into those programs and the knowledge of audio equipment and interfaces that how common it is today to know that like I need an interface for my computer. You know, it was like unknown back then. Like you had to pay for studio time. Yeah. Back then you were still paying for studio time. Back then people were still buying CDs. Okay. So I was like, my first album was the last of like when people were buying CDs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it put me at a really unique time in general music, but um, good times. Yeah. (laughs) I really like, I really like CDs, but um, yeah. So I ended up there and uh, that was a huge learning experience. And I'm so, so indebted to the people, Yusuf Assam's family and, um, you know, for the love that they showed me and the care and concern, but also the kind of, it was like a conditioning. Like, I will never forget, as harsh as it may seem, first day there, um, and it, despite all the things that I had been through at that point, the emotional, you know, all of those trials, it wasn't an excuse because I remember like my first day in the studio, we sat down, listened to my first album. They had found out about me because of my first album. So we listened to my first album and uh, my manager at the time, we just like, they just made fun of my album. They're just like, yeah, like, apart. they're like, yeah, like this sucks. You did this wrong. Um, your timing is terrible. You need to fix that. Did that you feel know? bad? You need singing lessons, right? Yeah. Did yeah. Feel- I mean, it was like humbling, yeah. right? But I, I felt like I was in good hands. So I was like, okay, well, if anyone's going to teach me how to do this stuff, it's going to be these people. Right. Um, so yeah, there was, you know, that's also where, where I met Dr. Murr and stuff. So that was a really significant part of my life. And that journey continued until like last year um, from Dubai and then to the UK. Yeah. Did people like, you know, you obviously have a certain aesthetic that you like, um, but people, you know, when we think of like these spiritual singers or Nasheed artists, we think of like, you know, some of Yusuf and these guys and they don't look like, you know, you. So did people even take you seriously or, or at least, you know, question um, your intent when you were touring the world and going around and performing and saying like, oh, I'm doing this through spirituality and yeah, stuff? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I felt judged all the time mm. um, to the point where it actually, uh, I think it hindered um, certain relationships uh, where people just didn't want to be associated with me because they felt like I was doing it to get the girls, you know, like I oh, like what is he doing? What does his look? Because, and then it, once again, being really honest with myself here, they were kind of right. It happens. It happens. And and the reality is that what I was doing, like my look and how I was trying to, it's basically like say, like trying to be the weekend and then being like, yeah, but it's about Islam. Mm. And the, the and the for, for some people, they it's for like young the people, they may kind of vibe with that. But like, yeah, I like the style of music, which for me, it was always about the music and the instrumentation and stuff but you have to look at it holistically. You're basically embodying the antithesis of Islam and then saying that, but this is Islamic. 
So you're kind of clashing two things together. And for most people, naturally, they're kind of like, that doesn't sit right with me. Wait, so you're saying that your look didn't? My look was basically like, you know, the way I dress, the way I presented myself. And then in the videos, it's just like pouting and like, you know, trying to be cool or whatever. It, for me, it's like looking back now, I'm just kind of like, I don't really, I don't like it. It it makes me feel weird because it's kind of like, I felt like I was forcing two things together and trying Mm -hmm. to make people see me in a certain way. So you understand like what their viewpoints of were. Absolutely. And and to a certain extent, I agree with it. And the, the, uh, the extent to which I don't agree with it is like, you know, when people are just judging you flat out with no basis. Yeah. But just by looking at you saying that this, this guy is doing it for this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, one, one, I remember one time I was in California, I performed, this guy came up to me and he was just like, you know, as soon as I saw you brother, like I, made judgments and I just want to apologize because your song brought me to tears and I re- recognize who you are and what you're doing. Mm. Um, even though he didn't really get who I was, but he understood the music. So um, do you want to yeah. share, you were sharing like that story of Umrah, I think yesterday about like when you went there, you want to share that? The haircut thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did Umrah two times with my sister. Um, Pilgrimage, and, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just, funny experiences, man. But like you see a lot of different kind of people. First of all, both times I was there, someone said something about my haircut. Like I'm literally, so the first time I'm literally three feet from the Kaaba, that's the Kaaba. And I'm like here. Mm-hmm. And this guy just comes to me. He's like, your haircut's haram. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks. Right. And then like at God's house. Yeah. And then the second time I was that far from the prophet's grave mm-hmm. and, and people don't, this is the thing I'll get into it later, but you know, you have to be conscious of how we're treating hearts and what we're saying. Hmm. Words are like, Weapons. The right? way you come off to people. Yeah. And yeah. that could drive people away from Islam completely. 100%. Uh, my teacher always tells me this story where it's just like, before you even say something, you have to ask yourself, like, is what I'm about to say uh, true? Is it necessary? Um, you know, like you have to ask yourself these questions. Um, and is it beneficial? So, for example, a guy walks into a mosque, a new convert, and he's wearing. I thought that was a joke for a second. No, no. A bar mosque. Yeah, but like if, if, if a guy yeah. walks into a mosque and he's wearing, and this actually happened, he's wearing, let's say, uh, gold earrings. Mm-hmm. And immediately the uncle will be like, that's haram. Men can't wear gold. They'll just like, you know, go off a tangent. And the guy ended up leaving the mosque and just never coming back. He's mm-hmm. like, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. You know, but think about the gravity of that. First of all, were they gold or were they gold plated or were they fake gold? Mm-hmm. Second, did you have to say that? Was it beneficial? Was no. the timing even appropriate? Was the timing appropriate? <laughs> so the answer is no. And But the, the crazy part is for that moment, the person who said that to the man who pushed him away from Islam, that man has to answer to God. Mm. That's like a huge thing that, you know, th- that's just like a whole other tangent of yeah. just like how we should be. But, you know, in, in, in Mecca, in Medina, that happened to me. But the funny part that you were talking about was I was like, I did, like you're supposed to shave your head. You, you should. Isn't it just a trim? I trimmed. I thought it's bald. Like no. yeah. So for for I Umrah, it was like either you shave your head or you only have to cut off an inch. Yeah. So I did that opinion. Yeah. And everyone <laughs> else, everyone, everyone else shaved their head, uh-huh. and I was just like the one guy. Everyone is like in thobes, shaved head. You know, part of this crew. I show up my plaid t-shirt, my plaid shirt and jeans, and my boots, my Clarks, and I have like my hair. You're asking oh, for it. And Wait, I'm just like during Umrah. Yeah. Wait, don't you have to wear the like after after? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. it's like for the rest of the trip. Mm-hmm. So okay. for the rest of the trip, all the group photos, you just see bald people, and I'm just like there with like shades. And I'm like, <laughs> like Johnny Cage. Right? <laughs> Johnny so, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, they're just stages in my life that I'm they were kind of funny. But yeah, 
Alman, you know, before COVID, uh, we were doing a little bit of a uh, tour ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a very um, unprofessional, unorganized tour that we mm-hmm. called a tour, but it wasn't a tour. But anyways, we had we had a show, right? Where um, Shimmer is a nice, handsome young man. And I'm so curious where this is going. And, <laughs> I think I know this and a young lady walked up to him and said, you know, hey, let's go back to my hotel room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are the one I want, right? Let's do some so, taxes. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't going to be taxes that were going to be happening yeah. in that hotel room. <laughs> but you know, like we have, um, when we do these things. Hold up, hold up. I said no too. It was... <laughs> he said no in front of us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but when we do these things, right, we have each other, we're, which we're very lucky and blessed to have. Because I think that, um, you know, being honest with myself, I don't know if I'm like going to be on my own, like what sort of curiosity that triggers, right? And then, uh, but but the blessing part of it is like whenever we go out, um, when we're invited to different things, we can enjoy each other's company and feel above um you know, anything that would um, take us off our course of just being ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, when you are doing all of this music and you're going around the world in different places and you're performing. And people mm-hmm. are like, you know, cheering for you and mm-hmm. all that yeah. stuff. How do you, how do you balance yourself and, and, and you know, um, the possible contain woman that stuff? throwing themselves at you? <laughs> um, I, because of this certain kind of conditioning, spiritual conditioning before I went on that, there was always an element of like, um, you know, check yourself, Yeah. you know, like you're not that great. And there's always going to be people who are more amazing than you, better looking than you, more talented than you. And, and if people are showing you appreciation, then just, you know, be grateful for that and, and don't abuse it. And of course there's times when like, you know, the devil gets the best of you and you're, you know, trying to find your way and stuff. But, um, Ultimately, like the the person I am, um, by by whatever you know, act of God, uh, I I would catch myself before falling too deep into this thing of like I can't like not coming back, right? Because fame is almost like a disease. It can well, it can, attention you know, overall is like at an yeah. all time high where we're just like super hungry for it, and we don't mm-hmm. even a lot of us don't even know it. Like especially mm-hmm. the younger kids. They don't know that like they need that attention and it literally they have like withdrawal yeah, when yeah. they when they don't have it. It's yeah. like a drug. Yeah, and and you know, this brings me to uh you know, with social media and how that's being navigated and stuff. Um, you know, obviously social media, no one's arguing that good can come from it. Um, but from what I see in my standpoint and where I see uh just no understanding what our society needs right now and what what Muslims need. Um I see it as almost like a, an obstacle um, because it's something you really, I mean, we're talking about, yeah, like I have a young female cousin uh, and, and we found out that she was like posting videos of herself, like, you know, dancing to like explicit songs on TikTok, but she doesn't even know what the words mean. You know, mm-hmm. when we were younger, we didn't have these kind of things like TikTok where we can post videos of a share with the world where it's there forever. Mm-hmm. If we were listening to inappropriate, like you were listening to Eminem when you were like a teenager, right? Still do. Yeah. So, but at what we weren't like, you know, actively like sharing that with the world. Yeah, yeah. nobody knew I was listening to it in right. that way. Yeah. And uh, but now it's like unapologetic. Like this is who I am. I like this music. Um, I'm you know, and not even understanding what it means or the implications of it. Um, but like you know, and that's just one thing. And it goes into music and media or whatever it may be. But it's it's all there, and and it to me it kind of. You know, it's a bit troubling 
Uh, but I try to look at the positives and try to like, you know, and, and I never kind of, people are only operating at the level at which they understand. If they understood, you know, the depth of it, they may back away. So the, the, the idea here is that we're not meant to judge them. We're meant to do our part in educating or do our part in sharing that knowledge. That makes sense. It's good that you had like an early sort of exposure to it. So you could figure out these things. I think a lot of us, you know, will post that one TikTok video that goes viral. And then we're like, oh, what do I do with all this fame now? And then they'll do anything. So yeah, basically, yeah. Shamir. Oman could have done the WAP. Who knows? <laughs> on the TikTok. If he was- yeah. yeah, Shamir. Yeah. So take notes. Before our next tour, yeah. we're getting you a spiritual spiritual course. So you're Why me? Mentor. That wasn't me. No, because you're the one that's <laughs> getting, uh, you're hogging Didn't- all the ladies. So we need to have <laughs> you a spiritual Faraz course. For us is jealous that but, but he's not getting all no, the, the ladies. No, the funny thing is he's not mentioning the attention that he yeah, gets. Yeah, that he gets. Yeah, exactly. No, I the never DMs? got asked to go to a hotel. I'm, what about the still- DMs though? Mm-hmm. I don't. The DMs, <laughs> the DMs are forbidden, brother. And nobody approaches you at the shows in that way. Oh, okay. No, I, th- I don't think I've ever gotten approached like that. No, you have. I don't think I have. Not like, oh, let's go to a hotel, but you know, fan, <laughs> fan behavior. No, it's like, yeah, a, like, hey, let's take a picture. But who knows their intention? They're like, yeah. it's like kids that have like the Fortnite voice. Oh my god, <laughs> that's we scary. literally perform at colleges, so that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> They're literally not kids. Um, I-, I was gonna say about the whole um. The, the attention thing, it's like because of social media, like how impulsive we are and just posting and doing all these things. But like we're very impulsive, like we check our phones like and immediately there's a whole science to that. Right. But, you know, what effect does it have on our behavior? And one of the things we can just practice in day to day life with anything is just like before you make a choice, just think about where those choices lead. Just take like a moment to think about it. And so in this instance where there's like, you know, woman who, uh, a, a female or a man, you're right. <laughs> throwing themselves, uh, you know, at a, at a female. Oh, yeah, Amber too. Right. But uh, because I don't want to make it seem like it's a girl. It's just in general. It's an issue. right? No, Amber, Amber gets the men. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh so, but, but I mean, I feel like this is my thing. I just feel like women are very intelligent and they, they do this by, by like just naturally they think about the consequences. That's true. So, um, I feel like, I feel like men are pretty impulsive, but like for me, what helped was like, um, some advice I had gotten once where it was like, okay, well, let's say there's a girl walking and, um, uh, this is actually a, a story in which there was a group of students and their teacher was there and the woman walked by and one of the girls saw the woman, they were like kind of entranced by this woman's beauty. And so, um, the teacher, instead of, you know, just like yelling at them. He kind of just made them think. He was like, all right, so which one of you is going to go talk to her, right? And they were kind of like, what, right? And he's like, yeah, so one of you is going to talk to her. And then what's the next thing? Like, are you guys going to like go on a date? Are you going to like go somewhere, talk a bit, whatever? Then what? Are you like going to go to her house? Are you going to sleep with her? And then what happens after that? Are you going to, either she's going to have a kid or you're just going to leave her after that? And then you're done. Got it done dang he was like oh you think she's cute you trying to leave her pregnant yeah but he's basically just <laughs> yeah. like where does it lead what's well, the, he's talking what, about those the, guys yeah. that the three brown guys that stand in the corner of a club and just stare at the girl <laughs> like that question applies to them right like what yeah. do you think is gonna happen yeah. Yeah. Right. you think that she's gonna turn around and be like you're so hot yeah let me go yeah. home with you yeah what's gonna happen but, but what he's saying to them is just like why are you even the fact that it. yeah because this is like it's pointless what are you just going to mess with someone's emotions and then you're going to like fulfill your own desires? And to be honest, you know? when you make it not an option in your head, it's so much easier to not have that battle later. Yeah. Like if you don't even entertain that when you first see the person, then you're not even having to worry about like, oh, if I go to their house, is something going to happen? Da, 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 yeah, da, yeah. Da. 
it's a lot easier to do. Well, isn't yeah. it like also oftentimes they just have a lot, like they don't have a lot going on, you know, at home or who knows when they're looking for that kind of stuff. I feel like. Um, when who's looking for what? Well, like, like a fan that wants to be with a artist? No, or? not a fan, no. but like a person in general, like looking at somebody, you know, trying to do like short term temporary. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, off of that point, I think any pursuit that you have in life that is other than God is just an effort to fulfill the voids within your own self. And you're trying to substitute God, whether that's drinking, yeah, drugs, that's sex, whatever. You're just trying to fill something in here that you're lacking. Mm. But that's like my philosophy of what it is. The condition. I think, I think condition. that's where I was trying to say like yeah. they're missing something. Hmm. Be careful, Shamir. Yeah. Why me? <laughs> what the heck? All the options out you, there. Yo, maybe on his Twitch stream. Do you need to talk bro, about I, I'm very defensive. Right? <laughs> I'm very defensive. I get all these opportunities at me and I'm like, no. I think everyone else needs the spiritual funding. Wow. <laughs> um, Alman, you mentioned Dr. Umar. So yeah. this is this is really <laughs> neat. I think, um, especially nowadays, you know, we we are constantly, I hear so many kids like, who do I turn to? Who can just give me the answers? Tell me what to do. I need a spiritual teacher. I need, you know, somebody yeah. that can guide Frost me. Frost is basically saying, I need a spiritual teacher. So where do I find one? Bro, I need one. <laughs> it's hard because it's, it's very hard to <laughs> yeah. come across. We have so many imams that come to our mosques and people that we come across that's just like, could I build a relationship with this person? Or yeah. would it be that, you know, they just give it to me in this way? How do you find, you know, uh, a spiritual teacher who, who you can have that relationship with? Is it like, and trust. what's the process of that? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I, I, there's definitely, you, the first step is just like starting the journey, right? Like, mm-hmm. and what, what by starting, I mean like, pick up a book, whatever book interests you, whatever book piques your interest, um, start reading it and start to discover the depth that exists within this religion, right? And start to discover the depth within your own self, right? And uncover those parts that you never thought about before. That itself will push you to keep pursuing. And in that pursuit, the the guides will come. The teachers will come. Because it's like your hearts, it's like God's pulling your your heartstrings, right? It's not that you're ultimately God's in control, right? And so it's like, you know, there's a saying that, you know, you take a, you crawl towards God and he runs towards you. Right, take the first step, and then you'll find your way. And what I also want to say is that for anyone who wants to start that journey, there will, depending on the sources you find, things that you read, you may find yourself becoming a bit hard-hearted. You may find yourself becoming. What do you mean by that? You might find yourself like you. You see this all the time, right? Like people will learn something, and then they'll try to like stop everyone else from doing that thing, and then judge other people from doing that mm-hmm. thing. Like we often hear, like. Um, and it works in the opposite way too. Like a girl puts on a hijab and then the other girls are like, oh, like she thinks she's pious now. Like, you know, we know about her past. And then it happens in the opposite way where the hijabi may look at her other people and be like, don't they know better? And like, and you often see this for people who may go for like Hajj and Umrah and come back and all of a sudden they have, they're the authority and they're like telling people what to do and stuff because they've had their transformative moment. But the reality is that it's a journey. So don't get too cocky. Don't get too arrogant. Just study. And ultimately, you'll find that there will be variations in opinions because you'd never want to be someone who learns something, tell someone else that thing when you're not even sure if that's categorical, right? Like that opinion, that's haram, that's allowed. And then you end up breaking that person's heart. And then 10 years down the line, you realize you were wrong. Yeah. 
Mm. Now you have no way to apologize to that person yeah. and the way you made them feel. So, you know, just start the journey, start learning a bit. And then there are teachers, there are certain individuals and, and scholars that I trust that I look up to that I've, that I feel are foundational to like this generation of Muslims and mm-hmm. what they've done for Muslims in America. Well, how, did you, how did you come across Dr. Omar? Cause this is somebody that yeah. is a big deal. You know, I, I remember Rami, um, Rami Yusuf even shouted him out. He said, you know, don't watch my show to learn about uh, Muslims or whatever, learn from these people. And Dr. Right. Omar was, uh, you know, on top of that list. Yeah. And he actually even came all the way from Gambia to perform your nikah. So yeah. how yeah. did you find this person? Um, so when I was in Dubai, I was at the studio one day. Excuse me. Um, and uh, Dr. Omar and his, his teacher um, came to visit Yusuf Islam. They came to the studio just to visit. Um, and I happened to be there. And I had heard about Dr. Murr before that. Um, so he wasn't completely unknown to me. But, you know, I sat down and, you know, we had a conversation and stuff. And just hearing him talk, I was just kind of blown away by the the breadth of the the, the knowledge he had um, about various topics. He sounds like uh, like Dumbledore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's he, like a… He should pull up to like other studios too. He's like a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dr. Murr's studio too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, just in conversations with him and more, not even conversations, listening. Um, yeah. The first step to learning is listening. You mm-hmm. know, that's like foundational. So um, putting aside what you think you know uh, and just listening. And um, that happened. And then, you know, uh, I'm a student of his. And I remember there was this one moment because from 19 till the time I met him, which is probably at 21, 22, there was this feeling I had of like, Okay, like I I feel like the music is okay. Mm-hmm. I was still in that point of like, is this haram? Is this okay? Like, should I be doing this? And I was still kind of confused um, until I met him because he came to the studio. He obviously supported Yusuf Islam and Cat Stevens and the music and everything. So that was interesting. And that solidified, okay, someone of that caliber understands that there's a difference of opinion. So then he came in, then he said he was with me and he said, and I expressed to him, I was like, I don't really know if what I'm doing is okay. And he looked at me in the eye and he was just like, um, what you're doing, someone can argue it's more important than what I do because you're going to attract Whoa. all the people that would never show up to a lecture. Mm. So he was like, so, and then he was also the one who said, you know, like the devil never stopped. You know, he ran, he took the tools and he ran with it. What have we done? Right. Mm. Have we built institutions? Have we, have we facilitated that journey through arts and media and stuff like that? Um, and, yeah. Furthermore, just to touch a bit on his work, he had a paper that he wrote that he published called the Islam and the Cultural Imperative. And that paper is basically about, as I was saying earlier, how, you know, Islam, wherever it goes, it takes on the color of that place. Right. Um, And it's not something here that that's meant to destroy culture. So he's saying, like, you know, what does um, American Islam look like? Right. Um, And. And he basically says, like, we have to be culture creators. We can't just consume what they're giving us. Mm-hmm. We have to create. So similar to like what you guys are creating, your con- your content uh, creators and you're c- contributing to the culture and you're giving something of value, something of sus- substance, even if those who may come may tell you like, oh, like, well, it's not an Islamic show. It doesn't have to be. You're interviewing people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. And that is educational. That is helping people understand the variety of life and the variety of perspectives. And that's so important. Um, and it's, it's even more important that you guys are actually the Muslims that are doing it, right? Like it's it's Muslims who are doing it. It's not like an atheist who's sitting here like, yeah, let's learn about all these perspectives. A Muslim is, uh, you guys are confident enough to be like, yeah, let's let's sit down and have a conversation, right? And that is respectable. 
And I feel like that's that's uh, that's awesome. And this is exactly what Dr. Murmeans in that paper about being uh, creators of content. And that's why he's inspired people like Rami and and, and others. And the way they do their Brother things. Brother Ali too, right? Brother Ali, Azar Osman, who's a writer for, I think he had written for Rami and, and other things. Um, Dave Chappelle. I mean, like he's met all these people. Like, you know, he has these different relationships and stuff. But um, yeah, it really comes down to, th- that's why I was so, I gravitated towards his teaching like the, so much. It's like the celebrity shake, how there's like the celebrity <laughs> docs. But it, it kind of indicates, right? Because you have all these people who are also in that field trying to find their way and trying to stay grounded. And he's helping those individuals. But um, I wouldn't say that he's like a celebrity shake or like, you know, yeah, be, yeah. because he's, you know, he is uh, just a teacher who um, he spoke in the language that artists finally understood. I yeah. Think, I, go ahead. I think it's really cool that you're able to find like a mentor that, you know, you feel welcome by and that was able to make you feel confident in who you are. Because sometimes, especially where I grew up in like the Baltimore general area, um, the two things that you said was um, not to be too cocky and not to be the person that turned somebody away Mm -hmm. from Islam. And I noticed that sometimes in the mentors that we had, even myself, I had a mentor that I really look up to in my youth group. And I had so much respect for her and so much love for her. And I would just eat everything up that she said, but I was the only girl of the group that didn't wear a hijab. Mm -hmm. And that was just simply because the other girls grew up at the mosque from a very young age. I had just transferred from a public school and I ended up finding out that she was like saying stuff behind my back and mm-hmm. didn't look at me the same and, you know, didn't really look Send at location. me. Send <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. And, you know, that carried with her demeanor to me throughout. And it honestly pushed me away from that community a lot because I didn't feel accepted or loved by the people that I looked up to so much. Mm -hmm. And if I'm looking up to these people and they don't accept me, maybe I don't belong here. So I think it's cool that you were able to find a mentor and, you know, I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. And I mean, going back to experience, because I feel like that experience is very common. You'll look up to someone who makes these complete like blunders and mistakes and people who are not what they seem to be. Mm-hmm. And that scars us, it pushes us away, especially in instances where there's like people in positions of power, like scholars mm-hmm. or whatever that do like crazy things. And it's really heartbreaking. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you know, even for example, uh, you know, when the prophet passed away, peace be upon him, you know, I think it was um, Umar who came out and he said, you know, those of you who used to worship Muhammad know that he has passed. But those of you who worship God know that he's always alive and he's always watching. And, and and the way I tie that to this experience is like, we look up to people, but then they let us down because they're human. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't worship the people. We mm-hmm. worship the creator of the people. Good and point. not only that, but, you know, uh, which I'll get into when we talk a bit about the mantle, but it's this concept of Ihsan, um, Stress camp. Let's go. There's your shout out. There's my shout out. And the and the the best part. (laughs) But uh, this is the concept of like what is what is the point of Islam? Mm -hmm. It's there to transform you. It's there to you know create the best version of yourself. It's not there to replace who you are. It's there to you know beautify what's within you. And if you take like an apple seed, an apple seed has everything within it to become an apple tree. Similarly, you have everything within you to be the best version of yourself. It's just about who's who's watering it, who's planting it, where's the sun coming from, right? Where are you getting your nutrients? And so, um, you know, that's what it comes down to. And when we talk about Islamic spirituality, it's meant 
to transform you. And these people, when they let you down, when they do things that are unjust, unfair, uncool, it's not Islam. It's their own ego. It's their own, you know, devils whispering to them, basically, and them following their egos. It's as clear as that. Yeah. From what you gathered of, you know, Dr. Omer's teachings and your own journey, every time, you know, there are there are times where you struggle with like faith versus, you know, the, you call it the Western world or whatever, like cultural norms, whatever. Mm-hmm. And dunya. the dunya, right. <laughs> there we go. The world, uh, worldly things. And whenever like I, if I'm to express these things, like I tell my sister something, she's like, oh, well, Alman expressed it in this way. And I'm just like, oh, that's like really beautiful. Where does your, what is your personal philosophy of faith, the way that you see faith um, to yourself and those around you? Um, the way I see faith. It's um, your philosophy on like, you know, the way that you live your life through faith and all that. I think, it, I think everything comes down to love. I think that's foundational to our faith. And if we look at who we are, what we are, human beings, creations of God, we are put here for a reason. And that reason is to discover God. Um, And we do that through seeking and attaining beneficial knowledge, which is part of our faith, right? Um, And sharing that knowledge as well. And for me, the reality is that within ourselves, we have this longing for God. It's there. Everyone has it. But based off your experiences in life, um, whether those experiences are good or bad, you know, some people get abused and things are altered within their, it's like their DNA being altered, right? Or like changed somehow because it's like they're not thinking the same as they would have had they not gone through those traumas. Um, And that ultimately stops them from pursuing the spiritual path or from, you know, finding faith or accepting it um, because there's so much... um, baggage there that they have to go through. And that's why like anyone who tells you that if you're a Muslim, if you're watching this and you're, you're someone who wants to pursue, you know, uh, your, the spiritual journey, you know, you, you can't, you shouldn't exclude things like therapy, right? Like you can't be a person who's like, well, I'm just going to go remember God in, in a corner and read the Quran and all, everything's going to go away. And like, no, do the work. There's multiple sides to you. There's a human element. There's a biological element, right? You need to take care of those things. And um, that's also how you prevent yourself from harming other people, uh, hurt people, hurt people. And so if you're just taking religion as some kind of costume to wear, a mask to cover up what's really inside, what's inside of you will ultimately come out and you'll harm people and you will face consequences for that. Um, but uh, in terms of my philosophy of faith, like I said, it's, it's, it's all this grand love story. We're all trying to find our way back to God. And because of the experiences we have, because of what human beings do to other human beings, we... We try to substitute that void and fill that void uh, with other things other than God. And the prophet, peace be upon him, um, he said that uh, there was a a poet uh, before the advent of Islam. So they say like the Jahli period, right? The period of ignorance, right? Like before Islam. Um, And there was poetry was a very popular thing. And there was one poet that he quoted. He said there was one poet who was true in his word and he said that the poet had said everything besides God is falsehood. So that's really how I see it. You know, and anything you experience in life, everything that happens, all the relationships you have, it's God behind it. 
And you can either choose to accept that and find peace or think that you are in control and try to swim against the tide for your rest of your life. That's really cool. Um, the last thing we wanted to uh, touch on was, you know, you yourself, you know, after having Dr. Omer and other people in your life that taught you these things so beautifully, um, now you're working on creating mm. these sort of spaces. You've made this thing called the mantle um, that, I mean, I'll let you explain it yourself, mm. but what's the point of making these spaces? What's the overall goal? I feel like the, you know, I've always had this conversation and we, we started the, today's conversation off with the same idea of like, it's kind of hard to approach scholars and imams and people with like really, you know, with issues that are very close to your heart and uh, sensitive and uh, very real, right? Sorry. You know, issues that are very real, it's kind of hard to have conversations about that. I feel like the the times that I've personally felt, I guess, like the most uh, captivated and like the most inspired. Okay. Yeah, it has been in like, smaller circles where everyone's being real, where there's a person there who knows what they're talking about and there's uh, emotional um, intelligence at the table, right? People know how to communicate. They know how to read people. They know what they're saying and how they're saying it. And they're not being idiots with, with how they're preaching, right? And you find a lot of that. Like all over YouTube, you'll find like self, like, you know, self-prescribed gurus, right? Or like, you know, Islamic helpers or uh, mentors, we're just saying things that are nonsense and then they end up becoming YouTube celebrities. Like that's not, that's not what we should be doing. What we should be doing is seeking out the people who've actually studied it in these humble gatherings where you build a sense of community, a real sense of brotherhood and sisterhood. And you come together and you learn and you grow. Um, and it's basically a sacred safe space, sacred in the sense that we're practicing Islam here. We're aiming for something greater. Um, and it's safe in the sense that you can come as you are, to learn Islam as it is. And I remember I went to my teacher one time, Dr. Omar's Sheikh, his teacher, and I said, you know, back in my community, like, you know, there's people from all different walks of life. You know, how do you communicate to the different groups of people? And he said, if people are going to come, just like welcome them as they are. They may even come with their boyfriends and girlfriends. Just let them come and sit in the circle because they don't even get that luxury in other places. They're, they're rejected straight out. And I don't care if you're like, you know, in, in all these conversations people are having, I don't care if you drink, I don't care if like, you know, if, if you're like gay or whatever it is. It's just like, that's not the point. The point is, do you want to learn about the spiritual journey? Then take that step and you can do that. Yeah. And the, what you decide to do after gaining that knowledge is up to you and that's between you and God. But create the circles first. I yeah. think also your space is really amazing because you have these things that like, you know, as kids, we miss out on as Muslims growing up in the society where we're like, oh man, I don't get to celebrate Christmas. I don't get gifts on this. I don't, I don't get to do this and that. And from what I've heard about, you know, some of Dr. Omer's sessions and then your um, things is like, there is that environment of like that sort of campfire clubhouse type of thing where even you've had in the mantle, like a gift exchange. Mm -hmm. So why is that important to include, um, you know, as part of your programs? Um, so the, the way I see these things, like, for example, when Christmas time comes around, we're, we don't even celebrate Christmas. We're like happy because there's like a, there's an energy in the air. The right? Everyone's joy. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what's sad to me is that because we've been a part of that for so long, we've been raised around it. When the Islamic holidays come around, we don't 
have that same sense of joy. It's like a different kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we go to the mosque, get some ED, and that's pretty much it. There but, is that. Yeah. There's, like that feeling, but we've never expressed it. Yeah. Outwardly. Right? Outwardly, yeah. right. Never and expanded so, on it. Yeah. And so, you know, decorating one's home, beautifying one's home, you know. Shout out Party um, City. I don't know if you noticed, but they had Ramadan yeah. decor for the first oh, time. Oh, really? They yeah, yeah, they had a lot of Only Ram- this year or like recently? I've, if they had they, it, I remember season. seeing it at least two or three years ago. Yeah. But but they like had an like a extended selection of it this year. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, what I was saying. Wait, you real quick on that. Buy yeah. from uh like people that are crafting their own stuff, like from Etsy oh, and yeah, stuff. Personal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Party but City, also Party City's doing the corporate thing. <laughs> yeah, is, but also also uh, it's it. a good thing to to also buy from it. them because you know they know that there's a demand and it That's normalizes true. it for like the average Muslim who might not have right, access to that. Yeah. <laughs> Choose at your own will. Um, well, we're yeah, just including those uh, types of things, the gift yeah, exchanges yeah. and this and that. So, so for me, that's important because it's starting to revitalize and, and bring to, you know, center stage this idea that Islam is about love and mercy. It's about gift giving. It's about caring for your brothers and sisters, caring for your community. And it's just like, it's it's almost like well, the more you study, the more you go into that. It's like it's it's natural to us, mm-hmm. more so than Christmas, because Christmas was like the invention of something else. Like it was not foundational to the Christian belief in terms of gift giving and Santa Claus and all that. That was like created, right? But for Muslims, naturally, just by merit of who we are as Muslims, we should be jumping with joy to gift and to celebrate mm-hmm. and to love um, and to create circles and gatherings and all of these things. And so. Um, for the mantle, when we created like the gift exchange thing, we do it for like, you know, in celebrating the birth of the prophet, um, which for anyone who that may raise flags for, the celebrating the birth of the prophet is just something that can be done any time of the year, right? It's just something to celebrate the fact that the prophet was born and yeah, the, the prophet sent him. Yeah, and the life of, in his life. And so to me, that's just like, that's beautiful, right? You're celebrating the life of the mercy of mankind by being merciful to others. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a good way to honor the prophet. Uh, peace be upon him. So yeah, that's where that kind of concept came from. It's just about, we need to create our identity. What do we do as Muslims um, during those periods of the year or just in general um, around the year? Um, You have so many amazing ideas and I'm excited because I feel like you're just getting started. Even just last night, he put together like three beats. Like (laughs) he's always, you know, making music and just art and stuff. And so just let everybody know where they can keep up with you and the mantle if they're curious to learn more and keep up with everything you're doing. Yeah. Right now, my biggest uh, focus is the mantle. Um, And the music has kind of taken a little bit of a backseat as I discover more about my artistry and the direction I want to take it in. Um, But the mantle you can check out um, on Instagram uh, at mantle of love. Um, and then mantleoflove.org will also be launched soon. It's up right now. You can, you know, go and put in your email address to get updates. Um, but the form of that will take, uh, it will be online. So there'll be like online Zoom sessions and clubhouse and stuff, but then there'll also be in-person events. So that's pretty much what I'm up to. And then I had a podcast that I was doing with uh, Nihal Khan, Imam Nihal Khan, who you had on your Instagram, I think Instagram live or something. But he's a, he's a really, really cool, cool guy. Yeah, he's a cool Imam. And we had a show called uh, Faith and Fine Print. So there's a couple episodes there and we might be adding to those episodes. But those are the things I'm up to right now. Awesome. People, please go follow him. He's incredible. And like I said, just mm-hmm. amazing. Has great way with words if you haven't already heard <laughs> this episode. He carried this podcast. And, and I would just say like, <laughs> like, you might see, like you might see me kind of absent on social media. Like I'm not posting all the time. Like, you know, that's just 
right now that's not what I'm doing. But if you want to get a glimpse of kind of the things I'm saying and the depth of it, it's in my music. So if you check out With Light, which is the last album that was released, um, and it should be on all the platforms, and the lyrical content of that album, I think you'll kind of resonate with what I'm trying to say. And it's on repeat for me during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. It's really good stuff. Yeah. And it'll be linked uh, below uh, with the songs featured in this actual episode. I hope you had some time to think about this very next question mm-hmm. because this is strange flavors. <laughs> yeah. Amber, let them know. If you could describe yourself as any flavor, what would it be and why? Oh. <laughs> we stumped Hot. the man who has so many words. Wait, I have to say, Alman is like the biggest snack fiend ever. Right. And he's always all about the flavor. He has a huge so selection right now. You have a huge selection. But you got to let us know why that flavor describes you. I would say um, earlier I said that, you know, what inspired my journey and what inspires my outlook um, regarding faith and the journey is it all comes down to love. And I feel like a universal symbol of communicating love is uh, giving roses. So I would say rose flavored. Wow. Love it. The rose. <laughs> he went with the description first, then the and then, and then gave it to us. Yeah. Everyone loves roses. Yeah, and give like, we give people ice roses? cream or something. <laughs> rose <laughs> ice cream. The rose Ramadan. water. Ramadan. Yeah, that's, that's a good having. one. That's a good yeah. one. Sharbat. The the rose Alman Nusrat Malala. Thank you so and much I, for being. I, here. I just wanted to say thank you for you to you guys for all all the really cool things that you're doing and inspiring people to stay creative and. Um, you know, you're you're part of a movement, and I think it's really really cool. Thanks Thank for you. always supporting. Yeah. yeah, it's it's actually like I said, it's incredible having yeah. you in our corner because, um, you know, I think having people like minded that that want the same sort of things and are headed, um, hopefully towards the same direction, yeah. uh, and, and can, you know, talk with each other. Like it's incredible that I have you. Uh, whenever I need any sort of guidance, so and he's thank accomplished you for being a lot, there. so it's like a huge cosign. Oh, yeah. It's a blessing for sure. Actually, made it all up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Oman. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Strange Flavors. It's been another week. Another flavor. A little less stranger. We'll talk to you next time. Oh, my God.